0: Hello and welcome to the Movie Bunker podcast. It's me Chris, me Matt, and today we're joined by Nick Dissevelin. Welcome to the podcast Nick.
1: Hi guys, uh, thank you very much for having me on. Excited to be here.
0: How are you getting on with the, with the lockdown situation at the moment?
1: Uh, it's an interesting one because I I am currently acting editor of Empire Magazine. My boss Terry White is off on maternity leave for six months, so I've taken over the magazine. I picked a pretty good time to take over <laughs> as Hollywood <laughs> as Hollywood crashes and 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 burns and films stop coming out and we're all working from home and yeah, it's an interesting time to sort of learn how to edit a magazine. But no, it's it's going so so far so good. Quite surreal, but you know we're we're making the best of it and uh, putting some cool stuff together hopefully
0: yeah I mean we were talking uh the other day about this subject and films are still trickling out when there's like a home cinema kind of medium and is this do you think going to be the future are we going to be able to see are we going to see more of this because of the situation we're in or do you think there's still going to be a real rush to get back out to the cinemas again
1: I I mean I think when the cinemas reopen there is going to be a mad rush as people just I'm going to spend about four solid weeks in Picturehouse Central, I think, and eat all the pick and mix. Uh, I think people are going to be really excited to come out when when we can, but who knows when that's going to be at the moment. I just don't know. But yeah, it's, it's, it is strange, isn't it, when the biggest film of the month is Extraction on Netflix. But, um,
2: don't forget Trolls World Tour.
1: Trolls World Tour is a, another huge one. Uh, I, I just, I'm excited. The thing that excites me about Extraction is Chris Hemsworth's character is called Tyler Rake. Oh,
0: wow.
1: <laughs> it's, it's almost as good as Vic Deacons from Broken Arrow, but we'll get into that.
0: Nice segue there, Nick. What film have you chosen to talk about?
1: Well, Broken Arrow. The 1996 John Woo action extravaganza uh, set in the Utah desert with John Travolta and Christian Slater.
0: They are America's first line of defense. Best of friends. Ready, Captain? Snap of the Earth. Here we go. Fierce competitors. Very nicely done. Almost as good as me. Ready to protect our nation against any threat. Carrying the nukes. You love having the power of God at your fingertips. Not tonight, buddy. But what if the enemy is one of them?
2: What the hell are you doing? We got pilots down. Over here! We got ourselves a broken arrow. A broken what? What we call it when we lose a nuclear weapon. I don't know what's scarier, losing nuclear weapons, or that it happens so often there's actually a term for it. The only thing more
0: dangerous than what he knows. They
1: believe they've got an exposed core. They gotta send in a nuclear
0: emergency search team. By the time they find us, we'll be gone. Is what he's prepared to do.
1: $250 million by 0900 Utah time.
0: If you have not.
2: Good God. I don't know what the big deal is. I really don't. But there's one thing. Smile boys, we're about to retire. He didn't count on. I know his mind works. You gotta let me go after him. Outstanding hell, that's the spirit. Would you mind not shooting at the thermonuclear weapons?
0: And what
2: are we doing? PN of the wrong code three times, the nuke goes dead. Unless,
1: of course, I already thought of that ahead of time. You just activated a nuclear warhead, my friend. The clock is ticking. Care for a coke or something?
0: John Travolta. You lose. Christian Slater. You're out of your mind. Ain't it cool? Broken Arrow. A John Woo film. What a doozy it is, Matt, isn't
2: it? I mean, have you seen this before, Matthew? You must have done. I I have yeah I was a, a massive John Woo fan and then these films came out. <laughs> yeah so yeah, I was a huge John Woo fan before he sort of made his um his uh I guess his Hollywood uh, foray um so I I picked these all these films up straight away with fervent intention to watch them. Um, but it's been a long time since I watched it, and I, I watched it. It's fresh. I watched it this morning.
0: I, I've never seen this movie, and I've been well aware of it, but it, I watched it last night. It did not disappoint, Nick, I must say. I'll go into a brief plot synopsis, and then we'll drill down into it a little bit more. But in terms of IMDb's plot synopsis, it couldn't be simpler as uh, terrorists steal nuclear warheads from the US military, but don't count on a pilot and park ranger spoiling their plans. Pretty vague, isn't it, Nick?
1: Yeah, and I'm not sure terrorist is quite the right word. It's like with Die Hard, they're actually robbers rather than terrorists. I'm not sure if you could classify Travolta as being a terrorist. I don't know if that's his... I guess it is, right? I don't know, a bit fuzzy on, yeah. the, on the specifics. But yeah, it's, it's pretty simple to follow, I think. You know, the movie starts, the first scene is the bad guy and the good guy hitting each other. <laughs> and, um, and then they proceed to hit each other for another sort of 100 minutes.
0: It's like a cat and mouse before even the sort of adventure starts. From the very get go, you are aware that there is a like a one-upmanship going on with this this unlikely duo.
1: Yeah, I quite like that first scene. Actually, it's uh, in the boxing ring. I mean, it's, uh, it's it's not a subtle scene. You've literally got them hitting each other and sort of explaining their their mindsets. And Travolta is talking about Roper dope, which you know <laughs> comes into play later when he's he's sort of trying to trick everyone. There's a lot of misdirection in the film. But yeah, it's essentially the story of these two pilots who are uh, piloting this $2 billion stealth aircraft. And then John Travolta has a secret plan to steal the two megaton nuclear warheads, which he does. And then he sort of carries them around in the desert, fondles them occasionally. Um, And uh, Christian Slater has to team up with Samantha Mathis, who's a park ranger. And yeah, like you say, it's sort of cat and mouse in the desert. Uh, And it's very silly.
0: John Travolta is having an absolute whale of a time, isn't he?
1: He, he is having the best time. I, I mean, there are many films where John Travolta is clearly having a good time, but I, I think this might be the one where he is having the best time. Uh, that's a big part of why I like this movie a lot, is Travolta is so over the top that it, it sort of starts to go back to the bottom again. Like, it's just it's such a weird performance everything about it strange
0: he goes a bit nick cage in this doesn't he i I would say
1: yeah i mean he literally becomes nick cage a couple of years (laughs) later and face off but in this film yeah he's very much the nick cage school of school of acting where every time he enters a scene it's (laughs) even if he's already been in the film like four times it goes into slow-mo he gets his own theme tune i love all the stuff he does with props in this film like every scene he has a different prop so, one scene he's making a really big deal out of opening a can of coke, and the next scene he's got an electric razor for some reason. Uh, but he's just having a great time.
0: The slow mo sections are kind of just focused on cigarette butts and all sorts of things. Where they choose to put the slow mo in is really bizarre.
1: It's weird. It's very John Woo. You know that comes from him. Um, but you're right, there's a bit early on where they're getting onto the aircraft and it just goes into slow mo for no particular reason. It's a lot of. Someone will just take a puff of a cigarette and it will go into slow mo. Um, that's kind of again why I love this film it's is little bits of weirdness it's, it's definitely not pure John Woo you know, I think Face Off is more pure John Woo but there's enough in it to make this really entertaining
2: I think John Travolta in this um, it, it more extravagantly smokes a cigarette than I've seen anyone smoke a cigarette he like really sells it as a pastime <laughs> it's just not just a habit for him it's a whole flourish There's a dance to it.
1: I've got to confess, so I saw this film when I was 16, and uh, I was still at school, and I've got to admit that I had just started smoking when I saw this film, and I copied Mm. John Travolta's style of smoking a cigarette, and thought it made me look really cool. Because you're right, it's really flamboyant. He has like his two fingers right out and he's got making a big V and then he's like flipping his wrist around to like pull it out of his mouth.
0: He goes deep with that cigarette <laughs> he goes and with deep it. on his cigarettes, yeah. In his fingers. I've never I mean I used I'm an ex smoker and I never used to hold I mean, I think I would copy that style now, but the way he deep he goes in deep with
2: the cigarette. <laughs> with <it. laughs>
0: I mean, there is plenty to talk about in terms of John Travolta, but there are other actors in this film, believe it or not. But they they don't they do their best, I guess, to try and bring to the table as much ham uh, as they possibly can. So we mentioned Christian Slater, who I think is perfectly cast. I think most of the cast are actually spot on in terms of casting. Uh, I don't know anybody else who would have fitted into this role and done it and done it any differently or better. Uh, but Christian Slater holds his own brilliantly in this movie.
1: Yeah, I, I really like him in it as well. I think it was his first action, proper action film, and then he did Hard Rain a couple of years later. Yeah. but he's just very good. Like, it, you just can imagine him doing all kinds of action films. He just he's good at it. He looks cool. You know, he looks cool with the two guns. He looks cool. Like, he he dives away from a lot of explosions in this film, um, yeah. and he's just really likable and wholesome in a way that Travolta is sort of super creepy and weird in this film. And he is the absolute opposite of that. And I kind of like yeah. that wholesomeness. We
0: have got Samantha Mathis in what is basically a completely dick-heavy movie. She is pretty much on the IMDb. She's the only woman cast member I think put on this uh, page, which is she was pretty decent box uh, box office draw as well in terms of what movies she'd been in and up to around this movie.
1: Was this before or after Super Mario Brothers?
0: I think it's
2: it's, def- it's after, isn't it? Definitely.
1: Though so she still was getting roles after that. I kind of assumed that film would just kill Everard's career, but no <laughs> because
2: like for for most of the cast, this is kind of peak for them, isn't it? It's like you know, this is John Travolta after Pulp Fiction. He's he's well on his like you know he's doing about three films a year. Christian Slater again is um on the back of all of his good work. I think. Oh, per, Travolta, this marks obviously his first kind of flamboyant bad guy. um, We don't count Pulp Fiction. And it kind of typecasts him after this, this sort of, this joint. If you like John Travolta in any bad role after this as a bad person, you kind of of blame this film, right?
1: Yeah, I really like the casting in this film. I mean, it's interesting as well that you've got two sort of Tarantino protagonists facing off against each other. You've got, you know, Christians later had done True Romance, I think, three years before. And Travolta had done Pulp Fiction two years before, and you're right, they were both at their absolute peak, and they're just in proper movie star mode, like these two guys like facing off against each other. And um, yeah, apparently uh, Travolta was offered the Slater role, and he turned it down because he wanted to play the villain. I'm glad he did.
0: Why wouldn't you? Uh, what a meaty role for him. <laughs> um, <laughs> You mentioned uh, Tarantino then, but you get Frank Whaley in this movie. But he was, yeah. he, he was in Pulp Fiction, wasn't he, with uh, John Travolta?
1: Yes, yes.
0: The the Paul Watt guy that gets it um, with his uh, – <coughs> the big Kahuna Burger guy. Initially, when you see some of these actors – or some of the uh, characters, sorry, introduced, you kind of misjudge how – how that's going to go in terms of who are the villains, who the baddies, because it does do a lot of double takes in terms of, or switcheroos, rather. In who do, do, yeah, Rope exactly. <laughs> so uh, Delroy Lindo, who, who's a classic character actor and, and is is perfect for this kind of movie, is like an action general, I don't know what he is, but he a cigar-chewing uh, character. He's fantastic, isn't he?
1: A lot of time for Delroy Lindo. Quite disappointed that he dies in this film, right? Like, he's in the helicopter at the end, um, I mean, in this film, if you're in a helicopter, you're having a bad day because it is, just, <laughs> <laughs> it is helicopter mayhem. I think four helicopters blow up in this film, uh, two of them in the final scene, like two minute, one minute part. Um, so I think, as I recall, it's sometimes hard with John Woo to keep track of everything that's going on. But I think Delroy Lindo gets killed. And I was quite disappointed in that because I really liked his character.
0: He does in a... In... In a semi-heroic way, they don't really give him an heroic send-off. He kind of supports uh, Christian Slater uh, Hale's character in terms of the, like the final fight, but then he'll unfortunately just crashes in as as a pilot crashes into the bridge as the as the train goes yeah. into the tunnel. So it's not a really great send-off. Not
1: a good death because because you can see like they set up that that tunnel is there ages in advance, and then <laughs> <laughs>
0: the helicopter just
1: crashes into it. It's not like a big surprise. So that's pretty pretty poor. Steering.
0: The pilot got shot, didn't he? Uh, unfortunately, uh, which didn't go down very well for him.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's not great. there's not any really great pilots in this. Because like, <laughs> is there a single flying thing that doesn't crash in this film? I don't think so. Well I mean, obviously the first one was a little bit on purpose, but each thing after that is just you know, if you're if you're more than a foot off the ground, you're in big trouble <laughs> in this film. Bob. Gunton plays the the sort of the guy who we think is
0: orchestrating or pulling the strings behind his whole operation of getting these these nukes into this certain place. He's the the money man. He's the money man. Pritchett. He plays and he's um, tutting and shaking his head in every situation. <laughs> I mean, just what was he expecting? I mean, I'm not entirely sure.
1: I mean, has he met Vic, De- Vic Deek Deakins before this day? Because, I mean, he, he, he does not get on with, with Travolta's character. Yeah, I kind of love, I love Bob Gunton. And I wish he'd got more to do in this film, but I really enjoy uh, everything that he does. He's just disapproving of everything, of John Travolta's entire lifestyle and telling him to stop a bit, smoking. Great
2: death, though, right? So it's kind of worth it for that.
1: Very good death. Um,
2: death, by yeah, yeah. death by torch. Death by torch. And a great hush beforehand.
0: hush. Hush. I actually wrote. I, I wrote that down. I had to write these notes. I put. I've written "hush, hush" because it's the way he delivers that line is perfect. But yeah, I was expecting Pritchett to to, to live. I thought he was just. It was just a big punch in the neck, but it was severe. <laughs> he, he died from that.
1: He immediately dies. Yeah, well, you can
2: yeah, say people survive nuclear explosions in this film, and he gets hit by a torch <laughs> and dies. You have to feel to yourself you're on the wrong end of the scriptwriter there.
1: <laughs> it's, a, it's a good death. Uh, Howie Long gets an amazing death as well. There's just a lot of great deaths. I think I was making notes and I just wrote Great Death when Howie Long is <laughs> flying off the train and then probably explodes in midair. It was just, and then obviously. Travolta's death is amazing.
0: Yes. Well, let's let's save that to last because it is worth it's worth having its own <laughs> it's segment. <worth> for. <laughs> <laughs> um I was gonna say, you know, the the way that some of the characters are introduced, well, especially John Travolta's character, we can't ever really steer away too long before being uh, dragged back to John Travolta's Vic Deacons in this but um, his very presence on screen is always met with like he's got a kind of like a Snake Plissken theme tune hasn't he it's not that guitar um, yeah it's like Blue Hotel or it's like a Chris Isaacs track um, in the background whenever he's playing in fact the score is by Hans Zimmer which I was shocked at.
2: Shocked in a good way or shocked in a
1: bad way? (laughs) It's a good score It's, uh, I mean, I think the thing everyone remembers is what you just mentioned, that sort of twangy guitar, uh, sort of Morricone-esque, Western-y music that plays every time Travolta comes into a scene, and like during pretty much every scene he's in. Um, Do you guys know about the Scream 2 thing? No. So this theme is also used in Scream 2, the same exact music. Um, Ah. They used it every time David Arquette comes into a scene, they play it, and... It was, it was put in as temp music, but then apparently they just left it in. And so the, the Marco Beltrami, who, who did the score for Scream 2, went to the premiere and was quite surprised to find slight music from another film in the middle of his score. And um, yeah, apparently Wes Craven just really liked it.
0: It's very chorally as well in places, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I love all the, the choral stuff. It's Again, it's very woo. It's just so kind of operatic and flamboyant and over the top. Um, I think the first time you see the nukes, they have, like, you know, quite, quite intense sort of choral music, but everything's, like, dialed
0: up to 10. With the nukes, I've got a question. This is not aimed <laughs> with at... With the nukes! Right, not aimed at this movie in general, but, well, in all kind of action movies with nukes, why do they have a keypad that's massive in them? I don't understand the premise of that.
1: It's a really it's good like question. Enough. It's a great question. I, I went back and reread the Roger Ebert review about an hour ago, and... Um, he, he makes a lot of... Uh, he, he's quite angry about the, the keypads as well. Like He's questioning what, why they put them on uh, in the nuclear bomb factory. <laughs> you know, there's no possible reason. Unless someone is like setting them off like a, a rogue terrorist, there is literally no reason to have a countdown.
2: Right, because they're meant to be dropped out of a plane. So it's not like, you know, right now, quick, turn it on. It's like, oh, I, I let it go. It's, uh, it's hurtling towards the earth as we speak. Should I have done something with the keypad? It's like, oh, no, it's all right. Someone will do it when it's on the ground. It's fine.
0: But there's a lot of switching around. It's on, it's
2: off, it's off, it's on, it's in, it, you know, the code's been changed. It's like it's a interesting... Logistic... This film does two things really poorly. Um, one is kind of the concept of the wilderness <laughs> and uh, two is the concept of time, both of which don't really track because, like, at all points in this massive... Park or you know parkland, open area. They're always about two foot from each other. It doesn't matter how lost one of them gets. It's like they they they, to avoid a nuclear explosion. They go through an underground river, pop up in a lake. They walk two foot and they find the other people again. It's just it's just like the wilderness doesn't work this way, people. (laughs) And in time, it's just like they had the whole thing when they had like about five minutes. And in that five minutes, they managed to go down a two thousand foot shaft back again. They yeah. stopped and had a chat at one point. <laughs> it's like you haven't got time for that. You have to go now. Why were Christian
0: Slater and uh, John Travolta's characters? Why were they stealth bomber pilots? Because I mean, is the the sound or, or the kind of the philosophy of of Vic Deacon's ego alone would you would hear that guy coming without you know anything? <laughs> so, well, the worst kind of idea.
1: You'd hear a theme tune playing.
0: Am I wrong in thinking that the the, the stealth bomber is like the pinnacle of aircraft?
1: I mean I think so. There's this bit in the <laughs> in the film where they describe it as two billion dollars eight hundred mile an hour. yeah, they're making out that this is the most... no one seems to be that bothered that the two billion dollar aircraft <laughs> explodes, <laughs> they've lost it. I guess they're a but well, the
2: whole u s military as a whole don't seem too fussed <laughs> with the whole you know we've lost two nuclear bombs. Should we bother go get in a us no, send four blokes. And a chopper pilot who's not very good, He <laughs> just wants to eat chocolate bars. It doesn't, yeah, it seems to be very little um, hurry in this. Um, what I didn't know about Stealth Bomb as well is, is that you could turn it on and off, the Stealth, with a, a simple toggle switch. <laughs> I thought like the whole reason that they were designed and shaped is that they were, by virtue, Stealth, <laughs> rather than quick. And now we're going to test the Stealth, turn the Stealth on. Oh, yep. Yeah. Can't find him anymore. <laughs> Completely <laughs> gone. I don't know what the switch does. I really want to know what the switch did. I haven't seen anything so ridiculous in terms of aerodynamics until um, San Andreas, where Dwayne Johnson turns on auto hover <laughs> on his helicopter and jumps out the side. So yeah, that was. I, I enjoyed that. Quick, turn the stealth on. Yeah,
1: these are good points. I've not actually seen the movie Stealth, so I, with Jamie Fox, so I don't know if that's a more accurate portrayal. <laughs>
0: I don't think that's more accurate for anything. <laughs> this is the this is the movie that the accompanying movie that you should watch prior to watching this. It might actually flesh out a little bit of your understanding of how uh, stealth bombers work. But you know, maybe that's a that's for another podcast. I'm sure there's a stealth bombing podcast out there that you could download and listen to. <laughs> All these answers and more to your well to my. Is, stuff. It's hosted by two white middle aged men <laughs> by any chance? <laughs> Probably. I tell you what, I saw in this movie that surprised me and a very emotional Tuco from. Uh, Breaking Bad turns up.
1: Tuco's in it. Recognize? No, I didn't I didn't yeah.
0: spot Tuco. The crazy drugs guy in, obviously, yeah, the uh, Mexican drugs guy in, in Breaking Bad, he's he's one of the generals that um, delivers the bad news about you know the catastrophe that might unfold if the, if the nuclear bomb goes off. Oh, yeah. Tight, tight, tight.
1: I love Tuco. I didn't spot him, <laughs> damn it. I, I didn't expect to see him in military uniform. I think that was probably uh, what nice. for him. Was.
2: it's a surprise. Now, I'm doubting myself oh. now, but... <laughs> I got um, annoyed by him because he said um, he used uh, two different ways to describe the same number. (laughs) It's a really small thing, but I get bugged by this stuff. He said 250,000 and then said, and then a further quarter of a million. It's like, hold on. (laughs) That's the same number. Maths. (laughs) I got annoyed by that. Doesn't
1: want to repeat himself. Kirkwood Smith uh, is in this. Uh, Always good to see him. Uh, Sort of telling someone to wake up the president. That tends to be what he does in these kind of films.
2: (laughs) Shane Toob, who plays um, Iron Man's doctor in the first one, he's, this is the sort of, he's the guy that gets killed by the hammer. Oh, the yes, end. yes, yes. Hammer time. I've written that down in one of my notes as well. Hammer time! <laughs> <laughs> this is
0: appropriate. The, the Kirkwood Smith uh, character, yeah, the Secretary of Defence, he's initially, I thought, would be a, a baddie as well. I thought he was going to be part in on this whole uh, operation, but I was ni- it was nice to see him in a, quite a pleasant role for a change.
1: No, 100%, 100%. I I, I definitely, I remember, so this is like, this was the first John Woo film I saw in the cinema. Um, So I think that's partly why I have such a soft spot for it. I'd seen Hard Target on a videotape that was kind of at school being passed around. Uh, But this was the first one I saw properly, big and loud. And um, yeah, no, I remember expecting there to be more skullduggery. You expect expect the briefing room to have a baddie, you know, who's actually working, you know, whether it's Delroy Lindo or the obvious one's Kurtwood Smith. Or 2K. Yeah.
0: Um
1: but no, it feels like it feels like they could have thrown in another twist.
0: There is another character actor in this which is uh um the chap from who play uh, isn't he married to Oh God, sorry. You're gonna need some more words here, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> um he's married to Anakin's mum or the stepdad, isn't he in, in um Oh yeah, in... I know you mean. I'm missing the actual title of the film, which would help, which is uh, Phantom Menace. <laughs> he's the guy in the little hover wheelchair. I can't remember him. Have you seen this? I can't remember who he's, seen this. he's the gruff kind of. I'm trying to find it. I'm doubting myself. <laughs> uh, maybe I've watched a completely different movie. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, Jack Thompson. Is that him? There's a couple of people on the IMDb yeah, page which have not got photos. Yeah, so,
2: Jack Thompson. He's uh, the guy in the wheelchair in Phantom Menace. Yeah, and he's in this very and, and very good. He is too. There's a guy in a wheelchair in the Phantom
1: Menace. I can't. <laughs> I remember like Yoda floating around in the little thing on Attack of the Clones, but I can't remember the. Yeah, I will have to go back and. No, I'm not going to rewatch it. No, you no, don't. no,
0: no, no, no. <laughs> there's no need for that. You tweeted a little bit uh, a while ago about the the Volvo uh, quote in this, which is <laughs> yeah. a- amazing. What is that all about?
1: It's hard to say, isn't it? I mean, it's it turns out that Travolta's master plan is to make enough money that he can buy 5% of Volvo stock. And he then has a little monologue about Volvo, which I couldn't remember until this last time I saw it. No memory of, of Volvo being a, an integral part of this film. But, um, yeah, no, he, he just... He admires Volvo because they make really safe automobiles. And um, he wants to take all this money and retire and just be happy that he's putting some safe cars out into the world. It's weird, <laughs> This isn't is why there's it
2: a doubt, like, like... He, it, he's a terrorist, right? Because, like, um, Ed Harris in The Rock, you kind of kind of go, oh, he's doing it for a good reason. And you're like, oh, John Gervais, can we class him as a terrorist? Because he just wants really to... You know, make safe cars it's, like a, it's, a, it's, a strange, it's a strange, it's a strange reason. for his whole thing is like, yeah, I'm going to steal a nuclear bomb and definitely set one off. Um, just so I can uh, make sure that Volvo have got a secure future in the world.
1: <laughs> he's not investing in aircraft, is he? He's he's seen enough explode in
2: <laughs> <laughs> this movie. Like... Yeah, he knows how tricky they are to fly. <laughs> the thing is about
0: uh, John Travolta is the fact in this character, the character in this movie is that everything goes wrong, nothing goes right for him. Yet he's almost like Trump in a way. Is that he, he's sort of blind to all the mistakes <laughs> and the chaos going around him and just goes, nope, nope, everything's fine. So, it's all part it's all part of the, part of the plan. <laughs> <laughs> it's not until the very last minute when he's speared by that missile.
1: I mean his plan is absolute nonsense I I still don't know where that train comes from because his plan has been foiled so many times and then he just has a train uh, all ready to go with another helicopter on it and it's hard to follow what his plot is you know you watch Die Hard and Gruber's plot is really clever but quite simple at the same time I don't know what Vic Deakins' plot is, it's so all over the place, it involves so many different vehicles
0: Yeah, it's like planes, trains and automobiles. There's a boat in there as well, isn't there? Because they they get into a boat for some reason and Samantha Mathis' character is is hiding under a a blanket in the the boat, which they don't notice. And then just, yeah, go somewhere, get out. It's, it's, again, another ridiculous plot point. Should we talk about the death scene? Yes, please. Nick, flesh it out for us.
1: Gosh. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's death by nuke, uh, just to cut to the chase. But basically, essentially, there's this uh, giant action sequence on a moving train uh, that goes on for absolutely ages. I think it's about half an hour long, <laughs> this final action. <laughs> so I remember uh, pausing it as the train sequence started and there was still a long way to go. And I was like, this is the end of the film. But no, it just keeps going. And it sort of boils down to uh, a fist fight Like the movie started, see? Clever, circular structure. They're fist fighting again and and talking about uh, boxing and philosophy and stuff. And then Christian Slater does a cool dive out of the train, presses something on a remote control, and John Travolta gets hit in the stomach by the nuclear missile and goes flying out. And it's amazing.
2: Yeah. So, I have troubles with this, this t- two, two parts of this end scene. Is at one point during their um, epic uh, tussle, Christian Say actually gets his hand on the controls. Now, previously, we were led to believe by John Travolta that you simply have to either push blow up or don't blow up. There was like two big buttons at the top. Um, as, as, as part of the plot, Christian Slater gets hold of it and just starts mashing buttons. <laughs> He's like, oh, God. <laughs> and then, and then he gets hit again. And then later on, he, as you say, he, he grabs it and then he jumps. And then not trusting a line of sight, he does a mid turn and then finds the right button to push. But, um, <laughs> I just don't know why he didn't push the button, like the one button that he needed to push. Um, when he got the control, I'm
0: fairly certain that button is deactivate as well. <laughs>
2: yeah, it's, it's, it's not mysterious in any way. It's just this. And yeah. then, right at the end, when the the, the crash is happening, and the because I, I, I knew at some point the large shiny point on the nuclear weapon would come into play, <laughs> um, and he, George Vellar stands up <laughs> and just watches this thing, comes towards me, could clearly have stepped to the side. Yeah, uh, but he just takes it full on in the balls.
1: He almost he almost embraces it. Like you see a glint in his eye. He almost he's enjoying it. This is the way he wants to go out. He's always dreamt of of, of having a nuclear <laughs> missile hit him and to send him flying out of a train. So he looks quite zen and pleased about it. Almost.
0: I think it was part of his plan. I think this was whole. This is just a. Yep, <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah, this is how I expected this. The world's happened. most
1: elaborate suicide plan.
0: <laughs> um, it's a good dummy, by the way. I accidentally accidentally pressed the pause button on on my computer when i was watching this uh, last night and it paused just as uh, said missiles going into s- uh, said bollocks and <laughs> you you've got a, a very lifelike full uh, model or, or kind of dummy of john travolta with head and everything and so they actually spent quite a lot of the budget on that i think because it was pretty accurate even though it's on for split seconds but did he keep it <laughs> and use it in battlefield air <laughs> potentially so apart from this movie and then we get the the brilliant face off was it a year after how quickly did face off come on after this I it
1: was a year. yeah it was a year it was 97 yeah
0: so what did he do after that because obviously, did that ruin or kind of not destroy but that did have a, did he have an issue trying to make these kind of uh, transatlantic movies after that because I don't know anything he's done past face off
1: well he did mission impossible 2 and that was kind of the beginning of the end. Um, I think that was like 2002, maybe. I don't like Mission Impossible 2 very much. It's a real shame. I, I love the franchise. It had the doves and it had, you know, all of his trademarks, but it didn't work very well. And then after that, he did Paycheck with Ben Affleck that was very bad. And then he yeah. did uh, Talkers and with Nicolas Cage, and that wasn't great. And, and that was kind of it for his Hollywood career. And I think it's a real shame because I really kind of love to varying degrees his first three hollywood films obviously the chinese films are incredible you know hard-boiled and and the killer and better tomorrow but i have a real soft spot for these hollywood films because there's just something about him applying his sort of lunatic operatic kinetic <laughs> mythic like just completely huge over-the-top action and doing it with people like van damme and travolta and Nicolas cage i just really love it you know hard targets a film i'd like a lot as well. It's the film where Jean-Claude Van Damme plays a character called Chance Baudreau, <laughs> a Cajun, and he punches a snake, and it's amazing. Um, so, you know, I, I, it's a shame, for me it's a big shame that he just did the three that worked really well, and then after that, that kind of that, that age passed, and his type of action movie kind of disappeared, because I think it's a real golden age.
2: Out of, the, out of the three, the hard target, broken arrow, and face-off, would you be able to say which one was your favourite? Oh, Face Off. Face Off is, I,
1: I I, and some people malign Face Off, but I think Face Off is a legitimate five-star action classic, like absolute action classic. I, I may be in the minority, I don't know, I think a lot of people love it too. It's undeniably yeah. very silly, but I just don't think, I think calling a John Woo film silly is kind of missing the point, because <laughs> everything that's silly about his films is also what makes them great. Uh, Face-Off is just so crazy. I can't imagine it working with anyone else.
0: It's problematic now, isn't it, the Face-Off, in terms of, you know, the whole touching the face with your yeah. hand thing.
2: Yeah, I mean, as um, a coronavirus, uh, you know... Um transmitter, I think having your face completely put on someone else's face <laughs> is probably a no-no in this day and age. <laughs> yeah, it's not
0: aged it's not age well in the in this like <laughs> there's
1: a supercut of John Travolta touching everyone's face and face off just every other character in the film. Uh, he's touching their face, and uh, it's weird. I was watching like re-watching broken arrow he He doesn't touch people's faces so much, but he does smell Samantha Mathis' hair <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> he goes a bit Aww. he goes a bit Joe Biden, and um he he fondles he makes up for it with fondling nukes. I think there's more than one scene where he's where he's sort of touching a nuclear bomb quite intimately. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah and he's very protective of the nukes isn't he? because he quite often tells people to stop shooting the nuclear bombs even though clearly as the train wreck at the end proved they're quite impervious to any harm <laughs> so yeah just simply shooting them wouldn't have any effect but yeah throwing them out of the train again no effect there. but yeah he's just quite protective he wants to make sure that little point He's ready for his balls later (laughs) on. He doesn't know. I got plans. Yeah.
1: But there's a bit of like, very early on, Christian Slater has a line. I think when they're in the cockpit, he says, you know, it's the power of God. You get off on it. And it's so right. Like John Travolta is getting off on it. Like whenever he's anywhere near these things, he's just having a, you know, too good a time.
0: I I just think if right, if I was in real life, and I know this isn't real life at all, but if, if I was Riley Hale, I'd be having a chat with the management a, a, a long time before, you know, we were having these problems because clearly he's he's an absolute psychopath, and it, <laughs> alarm bells, isn't I'm presuming there's an HR department in the, in the army. It's that regardless of where you are in terms of the pecking order, and he's quite high because he's a pilot of a stealth bomber. I'd be having a little chat, at least one to one or on on your own with uh, some 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 of them HR, and just saying, look, I think Vic Deacons is. Mental. <laughs> <laughs> he keeps punching me in the face, which
2: has no effect.
1: I just saw him salute himself in the mirror in the, in the bathroom. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, it's a toxic workplace. But then then again, Riley Hale is going through Vic Deacon's wallet and stealing $20 bills. So.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, one's, no one's innocent in this film. Oh, that bloody £20 dollar. They definitely dollar. have a HR department, because um, I was reading on the trivia that the army insisted that when uh, uh, John Travolta came out as a traitor... Not John Duvall, sorry, Rick <laughs> Deacon. <laughs> we'll make sure there's that differentiating between the character and the actor. Uh, he was no longer allowed to wear the uniform, which is why he changed into a lovely uh, pony neck.
0: Hey, that's like that other really interesting uh, fact I heard the other day about iPhones. Um, was it, um, what's the movie Knives Out, where um, Ryan Johnson said that? Basically, you can tell who the killer is in *Knives Out* by
2: the phone they use. Oh, because well, they're not allowed to use Apple. if exactly.
0: they're Exactly. Yes. Yeah, so all, all the. I'm not seen that film. I'm. You know, I'm gonna say. Oh,
2: fucking hell, Chris! Spoiler alert. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Had you heard this, Nick? I think you maybe on the Empire podcast. They mentioned it. To be honest, I, can't I have
1: heard this. Yeah, I thought that was quite. That was quite nice. I'm now trying to think what film is where mobile phones don't exist. There's there's a film that's set in the modern day that came out quite recently, but there are just no mobile... It's a world when mobile phones never, were never made. And some director, I guess, got out of the whole mobile phone. How do you do a suspense movie without mobile phone? I can't remember what it is, but
2: anyway. But, I mean, what a beautiful world that would be. <laughs> the thing is, it does ruin quite a few films, is not it? Because you quite often go, and just phone someone, or, you know, Google maps yeah. it.
1: But uh, i got a bit of trivia for you guys. Did you know uh, who was originally going to direct Broken Arrow before John Woo oh. came on board? You may not have heard of him, because I hadn't. Uh, Dwight H. Little. (laughs) The movie that he decided to do instead of Broken Arrow was Free Willy 2.
0: (laughs) He chose another psychotic character to film instead.
1: Yeah, yeah. A film in which Free Willy steals two nukes. No, that would have been a bad film. Uh, But yeah, Free Willy Willy 1 was gigantic. You know, there were were many, many Free Willy sequels, and I guess Free Willy 2 looked like it could have been, you know, the Terminator 2 of killer whale films, so... Dwight H. Little went off and to do that instead. <laughs> just two just two very final things to add. Like One, uh, we've got to mention Ain't It Cool News, the website which was inspired by the John Travolta line in this film. And the other thing is this was the only film in history that Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel, one of them changed their minds over. So Gene Siskel originally gave this a thumbs up. Roger Ebert hated it and he talked him out of it, so they both ended up giving it a thumbs down. And that is just wrong. <laughs>
2: I think it's bonkers, but it's the right side of bonkers. The thing with John Woo you get, and um, even in the later sort of worse films, he is a a fine hand when it comes to action scenes. And in every single one of his films, there's at least one scene where you go, that was fucking cool. Um, And this (laughs) is no exception at all. So I would probably recommend people watch um, the sort of Hollywood films before they tackle his Chinese work, simply because... There is a seed quality change in between the two. I mean, Hard Boiled and The Killer, as mentioned previously, are just—they're just absolutely fantastic films, and they need to be watched by more people. Um, but yeah, watch these first. Um, I think weirdly, actually, Hard Target's my favourite of his... because um, I know Face Off is cool, but I was a big Van Dam fan. Maybe I have to watch that again.
1: I always remember the—I always remember the scene where he's on the motorbike and he's playing chicken with a car. And then he kind of does some kind of flying kick over the car.
2: <laughs> slow mo fifteen times. <laughs>
1: Our targets awesome.
2: I mean, coming fresh
0: to this movie, obviously I, I know about it, and I had yeah. you never seen it before at all, Chris? No, no, no. I knew of it. I, I initially, I got it mixed up with the other one, the 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 water one with uh, Christian Slater, and uh, is it? Um, hard rain hard, hard rain, rain yeah hard rain with Morgan Freeman I initially thought oh broken arrow that's the one with Morgan Freeman and the rain <laughs> in the water but <laughs> um but yeah I knew I knew as soon as I saw the screenshots I thought oh this beauty and I never saw it but uh, I don't know whether I, I I deliberately avoided it or it was because I was maybe I thought myself as being a bit too highbrow for this cuz I went through a real <laughs> twatty um phase of snobby phase with films and music around this time so i was kind of being a bit of a dick about everything and now i'm not i like everything now for what it is uh now i'm getting older But um, the tomato meter on this one is very low. I mean, it's a 53 uh, percent and even it's got a very low audience score as well of 44% because usually oh, wow. usually, you get, you know, a low, to, uh, like a critic score, but then you get a high audience score because, you know, this is what we're here to do in the bunkers, obviously to talk about the audience-loved films as opposed to, you know, the critically bad ones. Um, but this is a little bit different in terms of it's a green across the board in terms of Splatterhouse, um, which is a bit unusual, but I can certainly see that there are magical moments in this and for its kitchen campness it's it's a really good uh romp of a film to just have a snigger at and and find impressive for for, for really good reasons obviously just find quite hammy and, and enjoy it so i mean we have to make a decision in terms of whether this is going to remain in the bunker or not nick so have you got any final words for us It's not like this is not like um, room 101 or anything, but
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah, no, you just put it really, really nicely. That was a really nice description of, of kind of what I like about this film. You know, I saw it when I was 16. It was it hit me in the sweet spot. There's nothing subtle about it at all. Um. The Spanish title for this film is Nuclear Alarm, which I kind of I kind of wish that was the actual title, because uh, it would kind of fit with the vibe of the movie. It's it's uh, it's just fun. I mean, it's it there's there's literally no subtext um, at all. Everyone just says what the text is, you know, to each other. Everyone <sighs> there's there's not a lot of depth to the script, but it's um it's got a lot of energy. Uh, Travolta's having a great time. It's it's John Woo getting his hands on sort of toys for the first time you know like he'd done a lot yeah. of gunfire gun battles in hong kong and then he comes to america and this is the film where he would got helicopters and aircraft and you know big jeeps and he's just having a good time i think that comes across it's sort of like this mad western
2: it's a uh, it's batshit travolta's genesis you know if they yeah. if he wasn't in this they probably would have been in face off and then you know no swordfish all that sort of crazy stuff they did thereafter where he's basically the same character Forevermore in this. Um, but yeah, had I had, actually I had an interesting interest bit of trivia that I, I found. Actually, um, broken arrow isn't actually the term for losing a nuclear weapon. The actual term for using losing a nuclear weapon is empty quiver. Hmm. <laughs> that's how I felt after the movie. <laughs> <laughs> that's how uh, that's what John was pants after he got hit in the balls with the, <laughs> with the nuclear oh, weapon. I said, God damn! <laughs> The, uh, the the thing that little
0: that, is that that little line from uh, Pulp Fiction, isn't it? That he just does that little homage to uh, Uma Furman's line, isn't it? That I say, God damn, yeah, yeah. That's, that is brilliant. But yeah, I, I think this this is definitely being jettisoned out of the bunker, as I always say now. It's our new my new thing. It goes goes up the pipe and out, <laughs> released into the air like a giant nuclear weapon. Uh, onto the DVD shelves of the uh, of the general public. It's on Sky Movies now. Go and download. Go watch it. it watch go it. watch it, Nick. Fantastic. I think obviously we've agreed that this movie is going to be uh, out of the bunker and uh, uh, released in the general public and into the wild. But what can we find you doing? I mean, I'm, I was really interested in terms of uh, the book that you've reached, say recently published. But is it Wild and Crazy Guys?
1: Wild and Crazy Guys. That's my book about the the, the comedy stars of the '80s, Bill Murray and. John Candy, Dan Aykroyd, Steve Martin, all of those guys, uh, that is out now, if you want to read it. Um, there's supposedly a paperback coming, but I think it's being delayed due to everything going on, but that'll arrive at some point, and I'm just starting on book two.
0: Is that going to be around the similar, or oh, can you not say, but is it around the similar kind of themes in terms of the 80s movie stars, or...?
1: It's, you could say, yeah, you could say it's a, a companion piece. Yeah, no, it's, it's a fun one to research, so <laughs> I'll, I look forward to being able to talk about it, but I can't yet.
0: Are you on Twitter, Nick? At all? Uh,
1: My Twitter handle is also my name, conveniently. That was a good coincidence. Uh, Nick Desemlian. Yeah, Twitter is Twitter is really the only place. I I haven't figured out Instagram yet.
0: No, I I
2: I still haven't either. (laughs) (laughs) It's like there's pictures and there's hashtags. I don't understand how it holds together. (laughs) I'm at the wrong age to be
0: getting into Instagram. I do it as a gesture of goodwill, but after that, it's all it's all news to me. But yeah, Nick, thanks ever so much for coming on the podcast. It's been fantastic having you on. And, and hopefully we can get you back again to talk about another one of your guilty, well, not guilty pleasures. We should stop saying that. But one of your uh, Defend Another movie, basically, that's been critically panned.
1: Indeed, I would love to. Uh, so Talking of guilty pleasure, Ian Rankin, the author, when I was tweeting about Broken Arrow at the weekend, popped up and just said guilty pleasure. So he does consider this <laughs> film. It's one of Ian Rankin's guilty pleasures.
0: Thanks again, Nick. Thank you, guys. If you like what you hear in terms of the podcast, then please make sure you go out there and download, uh, like and subscribe, uh, write a review wherever you can. And it helps us climb the ladder and, and get uh, into other people's ears. Mm. Um, so in, next time, Matthew, we'll see you for another movie. Uh, another Critically Panned or... I'm going to fuck that up.
2: Yeah, then, I enjoy this bit of seeing you struggle to out. I, I, why can't I ever do this? I don't know. Last week he did uh, like a Two Roddies. Kind of. And it's goodbye from me, which is weird. We can't just say bye. Bye's okay. fine. I know, but I don't know why
0: I always have to try and overcomplicate things. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Maybe Nick can do this one for us. Yeah, Nick, say goodbye for us. Bye, everyone. See? Professional. <laughs>